The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, February 23, 2020, on the basis of 2 Peter 1, verses 16 through 21. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. Human beings were made for the light. I knew that already. And yet this week I decided to read about some of the physiological and psychological effects it would have on a person if they were confined to total and utter darkness for a prolonged period of time. Let's just say it's something I would never want to try myself. Human beings were made for the light. I'm guessing I don't have to convince you of that either. And yet that simple fact also presents us with something of a challenge. Even though human beings were made for the light, the default setting of our world is darkness. In fact, darkness isn't really even a thing unto itself. Darkness is simply the absence of light. In order for us ever to not be in complete and total darkness, we need some outside source of light to intervene. We need the sun to shine. We need light bulbs that work. We need candles that will burn. And even though all of that happens fairly dependably in our lives, all of that is also very much out of our control. The sun rises and sets without our permission. The days get longer and they also get shorter in spite of our complaints. The clouds come and hide the light of the sun for days on end, no matter how much we might protest. And even all of the artificial light that we make use of on such a regular basis, it depends on a whole host of factors that are completely out of our control and really could be gone in the blink of an eye. Human beings were made for the light, and yet the presence of light in our lives is completely out of our hands. For the past several weeks, we've been talking about how human beings were made for the light, not just physically, but also spiritually. That spiritual light that God shines into our hearts and into our lives, first of all, helps us see God, who he is, what he thinks about us, and what he has done to rescue us in his son, Jesus Christ. That spiritual light enables us to see ourselves, who we are, the status that we have before God, and the future that is in store for us in eternity. That light enables us to see the path that God would want us to walk in our lives so that we can joyfully and confidently walk down that path. Human beings were very much made for the light. And yet in the very same way, the spiritual condition of our world by default is darkness. We cannot produce the light that we need in and of ourselves. We need some outside source of light to intervene. And so we might be tempted to think that this sort of predicament that we have physically, we would also have spiritually. That we don't have control over when and where the light appears in our lives. And yet as we wrap up this worship series and this season of Epiphany today, we're going to see that just the opposite is true. This wonderful, beautiful light that God wants to shine into our hearts and lives is a light that he puts at our disposal. We don't have to sit around and wait for him to shine his light on us whenever he might feel like it. Instead, he puts that light in our hands. 
to be able to shine in our lives and in the lives of others whenever we want. Even as we continue to walk in a world whose default setting is darkness, these verses that are in front of us today will give us this encouragement. That as we do, it can't always be sunny, but there will always be light. Realize that very often Christians struggle with the first part of that statement. Why can't it always be sunny? Why can't God just drive the spiritual darkness out of our world once and for all? Why can't he rid our world of sin and evil, of lies and deception, of despair and worry? Why can't it just be sunny all the time? Realize that in the long list of Christians who have struggled with an answer to that question, it includes the Christian who is responsible for writing the words that are in front of us today, this follower of Jesus, this disciple of Jesus named Peter. Back earlier in his life, there had been a point where Jesus had started to talk to his disciples about some pretty thick darkness that lay ahead. He had told them really in clear terms for the very first time that he was going to go to Jerusalem and that in Jerusalem he was going to be arrested. He was going to be tortured and he was going to be crucified. And Peter, especially out of all Jesus' disciples, didn't like what he was hearing. In fact, he kind of rebuked Jesus for the things that he said. Well, it was six days after this little encounter, you heard Matthew say, six days later, Jesus took three of his disciples, including this disciple named Peter, up to the top of this mountain. And there Matthew told us that Jesus was transfigured before them. All of the glory that Jesus possessed suddenly became shining forth. And as Matthew said, that glory in his face was like the sun. Jesus' face shone as brightly as the sun. This was the sunshine that Peter was hoping for. This was the place where Peter wanted to stay. And yet you heard Jesus say that as quickly as that glory appeared, it also needed to disappear. That glory was once again hidden so that he and his disciples could come down from the mountain so he could go to Jerusalem just as he said. There was a time much earlier in Peter's life when he he wrestled with this whole question. Why couldn't it just be sunny all the time? But by the time Peter wrote these words, he had figured it out. You see, as much as you and I need the light of the sun, the light of the sun, unbridled and unfiltered, shining on us, can actually do a lot of damage. And in the very same way, as much as we need God's light, that light shining on us, unbridled and unfiltered, filtered, actually can do nothing except destroy a world whose default setting is darkness, including the people who are in it. And Peter had figured out that Jesus did not come to destroy a world of darkness. He came to save a world of darkness and the people who were in it. And so that's why that glory seen on the mountain as quickly as it appeared also disappeared. That's why they had to come down from the mountain instead of staying up there like Peter wanted. That's why they had to go to Jerusalem. That's why Jesus had to suffer and die. That's also why Peter's message to the Christians who were living several decades later was what it was. Yes, Peter had seen that sun shine on the top of the Mount of Transfiguration. But Peter's message to them was that it wasn't always going to be sunny. In fact, that sun would not shine again until Jesus came back. That's when that glory would one day again be revealed. Yes, it was sunny on the top of that mountain. Yes, it was sunny on the last day, or it would be sunny. But in the meantime, it wouldn't always be sunny because there were still people living in this dark world 
that Jesus wanted to save. In a very real way, as you and I gather here today, we're, we're sort of at the same pivotal moment where Peter was at when he stood on top of that Mount of Transfiguration. Today is the last Sunday in the season of the church year known as Epiphany, a very fitting day to get one last glimpse of this light that comes from God, a day on which we see that the light that Jesus possessed, the glory he possessed as the Son of God, was a light as brilliant and as bright as the sun itself. And yet, as we gather here today, what comes next for us is actually very similar to what came next for Peter. A trip down the mountain. A trip to Jerusalem. The season of the church year known as Lent. When our focus will be on things that can be described as anything but bright and sunny. Jesus' suffering and death on the cross. Our sins that made that suffering and death necessary. We too might struggle. Why why does this have to be? Why can't it be sunny all the time? Why can't we, for example, just rid our lives of the sin that brings so much guilt into our lives and so much pain into the lives of others? Why can't we escape the loneliness in our lives that comes from the relationships that we've helped ruin or from the loved ones who have been taken from us? Why can't we live in a world where terrible, awful, evil things don't happen? Why can't we live in a world where 26-year-old runners don't get senselessly and violently killed just outside of a town that's supposed to be safe and secure? Why can't we live in a world that's always sunny? Realize that there's still just one way for that to happen. That if Jesus would take that glory that he possesses as the Son of God and turn that up to full power and in the process, once and for all, destroy this dark world and the people who live in it. But as Peter found out, Jesus doesn't want to destroy this dark world. He wants to save it. There are still people in this dark world that Jesus wants to save. And so it was sunny on the top of that mountain. It will again be sunny when Jesus returns. But in the meantime, it won't always be sunny. The light of the sun is in God's hands. Exactly the place where we want it to be. But then what does that mean for us in the meantime? Where does that leave us? In Peter's day, there were actually people who heard the things that Peter was saying, but were very, very skeptical of it. Peter and the other apostles were saying the very same thing that Jesus had said and the very same thing that the Old Testament prophets had said. They were all saying that the sun would once again shine when Jesus came back on the last day. And yet because the people Peter was saying this to had not seen the sun shine in their lives, they were skeptical whether or not that light was even real. They doubted whether this thing called Jesus' return was even going to happen. And so as part of his message, Peter wanted to convince them that what he was saying was completely reliable. The light, the sunshine he had seen on top of that mountain was proof that it would one day shine again. He wasn't just making this up. This wasn't just a a cleverly fabricated hoax or story. He was an eyewitness of the very sunshine he was promising them would once again appear. There is, of course, still plenty of skepticism in our day. And yet, if you ask me, the bigger temptation that we might go through might be just a little bit different. Not so much the temptation to be skeptical about whether or not Jesus is actually going to be coming back, but the temptation to wonder how that truth actually helps us out any in the meantime. 
You see, we too, like the people in Peter's day, have never seen this brilliant light of the sun shining forth from God. And so we might be fully okay with the idea that, yeah, we know Jesus is coming back, and when he does, it's going to be great. We're glad it's all going to work out in the end. But in the meantime, how does that really help me out? In other words, the temptation might not be so much to think that this light isn't real. Instead, the temptation to think that this light isn't relevant. With his words, Peter addresses that temptation too. After demonstrating that what he is telling people is completely reliable, Peter goes on to say this. He says, You will do well to pay attention to it as to a light shining in a dark place. Did you hear that? This Christian, this follower of Jesus, who had seen with his own eyes the brilliant light of the sun that shone on top of that mountain, also looks at the words of the prophets and the apostles. We would say he looks at the words of the Bible and he calls that a light as well. That means, first of all, that the words Peter is referring to, the words of the Bible, there could not be anything more relevant for our lives than those words. If this world's default setting really is darkness, if making our way through this life is sort of like trying to find our way in a strange, unfamiliar building in complete pitch blackness during a power outage, then the one thing we need more than anything else, the thing without which we cannot possibly do anything else, is a light. Peter tells us where to find that light. His words also remind us then that that light is at our disposal. It is ours wherever and whenever we want. We don't have to sit around and wait to see when and how God might maybe hopefully someday shine that light into our hearts and lives. No, instead God takes the light, a light that is as bright as the glory that Peter saw on the top of that mountain and he ties it to his words. And he puts those words in our hands. The light of the sun remains in the hands of God. But God, because he loves us so much, has taken that very same light and in the gospel, he's put that light in our hands. Again, the temptation might be to think that that light isn't very relevant for our lives. What Peter says here means that we can take that light and and turn it on in our lives whenever we want. We can, of course, also take that light and turn it off. We might be tempted to think, for example, that coming to church to hear God's word is something that, yeah, we kind of know we're supposed to do, and so we do it, rather than thinking of it as something that we vitally need, the most important hour, perhaps, of our entire week. Or we might be tempted to think, for example, that when there are additional opportunities to hear the word of God, to gather here to do that very thing like there will be in the upcoming season of Lent, that these things are are intrusions into our already busy schedules, that they are annoyances and nuisances into our lives instead of the the miraculous and wonderful intervention of God shining more of his light into our hearts and lives. We might be tempted to think that, sure, we'll come and hear God's word when it's easy and when it's convenient, when everything else works out, when all of the stars in our lives somehow magically align and all of those activities that we make ourselves so busy with give us permission to go ahead and go to God's house. Or maybe to think as though that light is something that we only need on Sundays. As if the other six days of the week we can kind of just do just fine walking around in the darkness. Instead of bringing that light into our lives, into our homes, and with our families. Friends, God has taken 
the most essential and most powerful force in all the world. And he has put it in your hands to use whenever and wherever you want. Just this past week, I was listening to a podcast episode where they were talking about something called SBSP, Space-Based Solar Power. I don't know if you knew this. I didn't know this or I'd never really thought about this, that our sun is powerful. In fact, how powerful is it? It produces enough power each and every day to provide energy for every single thing that all 7 billion people living on planet Earth would do in the course of a day. It produces that much power. We, of course, try to harvest some of that power with things like solar panels, but it's kind of tough to harvest the sun's power here on Earth. A large amount of that power is lost when the sun's rays pass through Earth's atmosphere. Even more is lost when it's cloudy outside. And, of course, an Earth-based solar panel can only collect light 50% of the time when it's daytime. All of that changes in outer space, however. A space-based solar panel can be in direct sunlight nearly 100% of the time, and the intensity of the rays that are reaching those solar panels is far greater than, any, than after it has passed through the Earth's atmosphere or is covered by clouds. And so the hope is that maybe someday we would be able to harness the power of the sun to power our activities here on Earth, that we would be able to harvest enough of the sun's power, transmit it down to the people of the Earth, and you would never again have to plug in your phone. Never again have to refill your car's tank with gas. Now, I don't know if anything like that could ever happen or even should ever happen, but realize that that's exactly what God has done for us. He has taken his light, a light that is as bright as the sun, and he has harnessed it for us. He has tied it to his word. There is nothing more important and more impactful in your life than for that light to be shining on you, for you to know who God is, for you to know how much he loves you, for you to know who you are, for you to know where you stand with him, that through faith in Jesus, you are a child in his family. You are holy in his sight, that through faith in Jesus, you are an heir of eternal life and your future in heaven is guaranteed. Nothing is more powerful in your life than having that light. And God has taken that light as bright as the sun and he's harnessed it for us. He's harvested it up. He's transmitted it to us in his word. The light of the sun remains in his hands, but the light of the gospel he has placed in ours. So use it. Hold on to it. Put it to work. You know, this rhythm and this cycle that we go through each and every year with these different seasons of the church year, one of the blessings I think that comes from them is that they really mirror and mimic how life works. You have Advent and then Christmas and Epiphany and then Lent and Holy Week and Good Friday and then, and then Easter, Jesus' resurrection from the dead. It really mimics how life works, right? As we continue to make our way through this world whose default setting is darkness. There are times when it seems as though we've, we've kind of been able to keep that darkness at arm's length, but of course there are other times when we seem up to our very eyeballs in it. And it will continue to go just like that. Until Jesus returns, it won't always be sunny. 
And yet, as we continue to make our world through this, as we make our way through this dark world, in the meantime, God has given us His light. So put it to use, fully confident that dawn is on the way. Amen. <laughs>